Thanks, David. <clears throat> Just remembering uh, as junior in college and part of the uh, student leadership team, and and uh, we were starting a new year of school and uh, and praying for the incoming freshmen and the students that were coming and. And uh, we uh, had this, this young gal, her name was Lisa, bright red hair, super passionate, super enthusiastic, engaged in all. It was InterVarsity was the uh, parachurch organization. She was engaged in our prayer meetings and our Bible studies. She was really, and we were like, as a leadership team, wow, this is awesome. She's really fired up. Well, as the semester progressed, she started to pull away from... Our, our, our Christian community on campus, and it was confusing, and so I didn't know Lisa that well, but other leaders tried to talk to her. Well, something had happened, actually. Um, she had gotten involved in a Bible study, and uh, this Bible study was uh, later, it was, uh, went by the name of, of Church of Christ, but later became known as International Church of Christ. And they had a particular theology of baptism. And so uh, in that Bible study, she experienced where in Acts 2.38, it says, repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And then in that Bible study, they they trace Acts 10.48, says, in the name of Jesus Christ. Acts 19.5 says, in the name of Jesus Christ. Now, <clears throat> most of us were baptized uh, following Matthew 28, baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. How many of you were baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, as far as you can tell? Okay, yeah. So this Bible study taught that that was just really a a summation of the church's ministry. The appropriate way to be baptized was in the name of Jesus Christ. And since baptism is connected to salvation, well, if you raised your hand, you were baptized wrong. And you're probably going to hell. See you, Sean. That's, uh, yeah. See how that works? It was interesting. What was also interesting is that as we tried to reach out to Lisa, it was appropriate in terms of holiness and righteousness that you would be separated from those who were not truly Christians, those who were not baptized correctly. And so she pulled away from us. And in fact, we, we later found out that on campus, the, uh, the university, Eastern Illinois, they banned the, uh, this particular Christian group because parents were sending their kids, they were getting baptized in the name of Jesus, and then they wouldn't return home because their parents weren't baptized correctly either and weren't saved, and so they were separating them. This is not too dissimilar to what Paul is facing in the book of Galatians, which we continue to walk through. 
If you would, if you've brought your Bibles, there are some Bibles located in the seats in front of you. Turn to Galatians 4. We'll, we'll continue the discussion and the argument that, that Paul is made, making. If you just a, a little bit of a recap, Paul, he's facing some Judaizers that followed Paul along. In his first mission trip, he planted churches in Galatia, was one of them. But then you had we call Judaizers, that they said, well, yes, Christ is important for salvation, but you also have to be Jewish. You have to be circumcised. You have to follow a number uh, of food laws, right? And you can see he is this group of, you could argue they were well-meaning. Perhaps many of them were. We're saying, no, no, you, you, Paul doesn't quite have it right. Right? If you want to experience the fullness of the Christian faith, you have to be Jewish as well and follow them. And they were really doubting if you're not circumcised, well, good chance you're not saved. So many of these elements are, are similar, maybe different takes and different theologies there between the International Church of Christ and the Judaizers of, of Paul's. But again, the idea of adding to salvation, adding what it means. I mean, I think if I really wanted to grow this church, I could come up with some nuance to the gospel and teach that we're the only true Christians, right? Well, I think that would be a great church growth principle, yes? Yeah. Of course, it would be incredibly wrong, right? Right? Adding to the gospel is the concern here. Now what he does in chapter 4, I, I want to set up chapter 4 in this way. He's going to talk about, what, as I read it and as I studied and prayed about it, three dynamics of the Christian faith that are awesome. Three aspects that God wants us to live and walk in as followers of Christ, as new creations. He's going to highlight three aspects. And what he's saying to the um, Galatians, he's saying, don't, don't, don't give up these three dynamic ways to live the Christian life out. Don't you realize you're, you're forfeiting this? And I think it has relevance to us today in particular, because I think we as Christians might not be living fully into these three dynamics of new creation life, of, of kingdom life, of the abundant life that God offers. <clears throat> Have you ever had, say, a membership to a gym? And they've got, you know, the great workout facilities. They've got classes and all of that. They've got a swimming pool. I mean, really great stuff. And you never go. You signed up January 1st, right? You're, you're ready and you, and you don't go, right? You've got all these benefits. You've got all these resources and you never go. Sometimes the Christian life can be that way, right? Where we're, we're offered this incredible life and yet are we fully living into the new creations that God has called us to be. So keep that in mind as we look at uh, Galatians 4. And 
Paul has been making the argument that we are heirs, that we are ready to receive all that God has given us. But if you go to the old covenant, then really you're like a, you're an heir that hasn't grown up yet and you need a, a tutor or, or a trustee that is making decisions for you because you haven't grown up in Christ yet. That's the old covenant and the law is that trustee, the law of the Old Testament, Moses' law. But he's making the argument, no, to be full children of God is to be adult children of God where you don't need a trustee anymore. Because you have the spirit of Christ. That's Paul's argument in chapter 3. We are people of promise. Children of God or adult children of God. Let me just read 28, 328. That beautiful equalizing verse. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor there is male or female. For you are one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. The ground is level at the cross. It transforms us beyond all of the the normal categories of of gender and social class, of culture and background. No, we're one in Christ. The ground is level at the cross. What I'm saying is that as long as you, this is verse 1, of chapter 4, are an heir, what I'm saying is that as long as an heir is under age, he is no different from a slave. Although he owns the whole estate, the heir is subject to guardians or trustees until the time is set by his father. This is the old covenant. This is what the Uh, pharisaical folks are arguing. So also when you were underage, we were in slavery under the elemental spiritual forces of the world. I think a better translation of that word forces is principles. He's saying those Old Testament principles, those spiritual principles, those are the old and immature elemental ways. Or he's going to apply it to paganism as well. If you're following pagan other gods that are not gods, they're under the old elemental spiritual principles. He's saying, I'm inviting you to grow up in the Lord, that you would live by the new creation principles, the new covenant principles. But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, those elemental spiritual principles, that we might receive adoption to sonship or daughterhood, that we might grow up in the Lord, be adult children of God, you could say. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts and the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's children. And since you are his children, God has made you also an heir. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were slaves to those who by nature are not God's. But now that you know God, or rather are known by God, how is it that you are turning back to those weak and miserable 
principles or forces. All right, let's pause right there. I hope you are following the argument that, that Paul is making. He says, if you're an heir, but you're still underage, let's say you're 13, you have to have trustees or guardians that will, will make decisions for you. And he says, that's the old covenant. That's the law. That's the, you trying to follow Mosaic law. He says, no, no, no. The new covenant is you become, you grow up, away from those elemental principles of religion into a new way of living, a, a dynamic way of living where you become an adult child of God because he's given you the spirit and the spirit now is your counselor and guide. Don't go back to the old way. Don't go back to those elemental principles of religion. No. Now, when he says, look again at verse um, seven, uh, six, because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. By the way, note the Holy Spirit is referred to the spirit of his son. Another place, spirit of Christ. So a Beautiful Trinity, the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of Christ, the Spirit of Son. Send the, son, the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, the Spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. What is Paul saying when he uses, why does he use Abba? Abba is an Aramaic term, and it's used really in a more intimate less formal way. The, the best translation is dad, okay? So why would he use dad? What, what's he saying in this principle? How does the spirit teach us dad? Everybody say Abba. Abba, Abba Father. Abba. All right. Now, Jesus, he upset the religious leaders of his day because he was referring to Almighty God as Father. And they're like, we don't like that at all. And Jesus says, it gets worse. He says, I'm going to refer to him as, as Dad. Some would argue, Daddy. Right? Like super intimate. Imagine a little child reaching up. Daddy, can you hold me? And then Jesus is going to teach us to say, Father, to pray, Father, right? Jesus, how shall we pray? Our Father in heaven. And then that not only does Jesus use the phrase Father and Abba, but we are to use Father and Abba. In fact, in the cool moment of a resurrection appearance, I think it, it, it misses uh, many of us, um, for many of us, when he says, 
when uh, Mary is holding on to Jesus and she wants to hold on. He says, no, go. Do you remember the message that he says? He says, go and tell. Go instead to my brothers. This is John 20. I skipped around a little bit on you, Will. Go instead to my brother and tell them, I am ascending to my father and your father. Not neat. He tore the he tore the veil. My father and your father to my God and your God. Now we'll go back to uh, on the screens Romans eight fifteen. Sometimes Paul says very similar things. Notice the similarities between what he's saying. Perhaps a little bit more clear. Romans eight fifteen. He says this: the Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of the Son, you received brought you about your adoption to sonship, and by him we cry. Read it with me. Abba, Father. Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. What he's saying is when you became a Christian, the Spirit of God, John 3, entered your heart and your soul. You are now a temple of the Holy Spirit and the Spirit of the Son, the Spirit of Christ, testifies to our little spirits. We all individually have little spirits within us, right? And the Holy Spirit enters in and communicates and teaches our little spirit within and what does he say? You get to call the almighty God, the creator of heaven and earth and all that is within it, the one and only wise God, you get to say, Dad. Why? What? Ah. This intimacy that is offered between us and God. He's saying you get, to, you get to treat the creator of the universe. You get to pray, Abba, Father. And I guess the, the question is, is that how you relate to God? Do you ever pray, Abba, Father. Do you have that kind of intimate relationship with him? I'd like to suggest that many of us still have remnants of sometimes our our earthly father and relationships can influence how we relate to our heavenly father. Some of us grew up with an authoritarian rule keeper dad and he was distant and he said hey keep your nose clean and we'll be all right if you cross the line we're going to have issues some of you might have a dad that way some of us consciously and unconsciously might relate to God the father that way and Paul is saying don't you get this this new Christian life is offering this Abba, Father, relationship with 
our Father in heaven. Some of us had no fathers or distant fathers. And we feel like God is that, that kind of, you know, that clockmaker that he says he wound up the world. And he says, all right, now, keep your nose clean, live well, do okay. Right? And, and we feel this distance. Again, Paul is saying, that's not the new covenant life with our Heavenly Father that he's offering. This is a Father who's involved. This is a Father who knows you. And you can be known by him. Knows you better than you know yourself. That he's pouring out his kindness. Remember communion? He wants to draw you in. And if there's any barrier in your life between you and him... In his kindness, he, he allows you to confess that and remove that so that you might again experience that, that relationship of Abba, Father. An incredible aspect of the Christian life. Now Paul's going to go on and argue. I'm going to skip. He, uh, he talks a little personally um, about himself and his relationship with the Galatians. We'll pick it up at verse 17. It says, Those people, the Judaizers, are zealous to win you over, but for no good. He's questioning their intentions. What they want is to alienate you from us. Does that sound familiar? Right? so that you may have zeal for them. It is fine to be zealous. I love that. He was the first one. That's what my wife says to me. How do you like this? It's fine. Do you want to do that? It's fine. Paul says, it's fine to be zealous. But be careful in your zeal. Right? If it's not rooted in good things, if it doesn't have the right intent or purpose, you can be off base. It is fine to be zealous, provided the purpose is good, and to be so always. Not just when I am with you, my dear children, for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. How I wish I could be with you now and change my tone because I am perplexed about you. Paul is like, how could this be happening? The, the church I founded in that way. And I would say this is a second incredible aspect of being a Christian that we might not be utilizing and pressing in fully and completely. That, that word formed is a gr Greek word. Let's see if you can... Recognize the root. The Greek word is morpho. Morphosis. Metamorphosis. A, a change, a, a transformation. A, a caterpillar goes into a cocoon, right? And becomes a butterfly. Metamorphosis, right? He's saying this to Christians. He's saying... The Christian life, new creation, God does not want to leave you where you are. It's the difference between treading water and full-on swimming. He wants you to be growing and being formed and shaped in the image of his son. 
There's another uh, uh, verse, Romans 8, 28. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed. That word is similar. It's simamorphous in the Greek. To the image of his son. Friends, I'm concerned that as Christians, we're basically managing sin rather than being transformed. Boy, can you hear that wind? That's the Holy Spirit. <laughs> Holy Spirit wants to, you to pay attention to this point. This is really important. All right? He wants you. Now, what does it mean to be made into the image of a son? Should we start trying to look a little bit more like Jesus, grow out a beard? That would be hard for you women, right? Should I start wearing sandals? And play? What's it mean to be made in the image of Jesus? What does that look like? Of course, he's not talking about physical appearance. He's talking about your soul. He's talking about your, your mind, your heart. Your will. We've all been made in the image of God, but, but unfortunately sin and the curse has affected every aspect of our interior world. That's kind of a bummer, right? That's the bad news. The good news is, is that by the Spirit of God, by Jesus Christ, we can be formed. So, in our, in our minds, take our minds, for example, and, and what we believe to be truth and revelation who knows that we can fall into patterns of terrible thinking, of stinking thinking. To be transformed is to allow the Lord to share revelation and truth and transform our mind so that we understand him, our world, and our lives better. And the truth will set you free, yes? Yep. Think of our heart, right? Unfortunately, God has given us our emotions. I believe that we can discover God uh, in way partly because he's speaking and using our emotions to guide and direct. And yet, many of us can have toxic emotions. Yes? Yes? And we can be led by that. And he's saying, I want you to be transformed. When was the last bad decision you made? This morning, for some of you? Yes, Mikey, this morning? Yes, that, that will, right? He's speaking to Christians. He's saying that, that this is part. Some would say that that is the focus of Paul's ministry to Christians is that Christ would be formed in you and for many of us. We're just treading water. We're going through the motions. We're not seeking. We're not digging. We're not going after. We're not learning and reading and praying. Lord, teach me how to live for your glory, honor, and praise. 
our minds, our thoughts, our wills. He wants to transform. Some of us are living in such a way that we're just trying to not sin and be good people. And that is shallow, I would suggest. He wants to morph you to look more and more like his son, Jesus Christ. Now, let's, uh, I'm going to skip that longer portion. He uses, he, he says, I'm speaking figuratively. He uses a, a metaphor of Hagar and Sarah. And essentially, I'll let you read that on your own. Essentially, he's saying, don't you realize new covenant is Sarah and, and Isaac is the son of promise and you're living by the promise and the, and the power of the Spirit. And Hagar, she was, uh, I guess, uh, the mistress, or he calls her a slave woman. And by going back to Old Testament, you're leaving the son of promise and the wife of promise and embracing the slave woman and the son of slavery. He uses that analogy. Read it over. Pray it through, and we'll pick it up and... In verse 28, now you brothers and sisters like Isaac are children of promise. At that time, the son born according to the flesh persecuted the son born by the power of the spirit. That's Isaac. That's you. It is the same now. But what does scripture say? Get rid of the slave woman and her son for the slave woman's son will never share in the inheritance with the free woman's son. You can't have it both ways. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we are not children of the slave woman, but of the free woman, Sarah. Verse 1 of chapter 5 says, It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. What Paul is saying, we had to go into chapter 5 because he's saying, he says, don't be enslaved again by Mosaic laws or man-made rules, but live free. This is the third benefit of the Christian faith that I don't think we fully understand and live into. And so here's the question that I would love for you guys to carry with you this week. What does it mean to be free in Christ? Does that mean we get to do whatever we want to do whenever we want based on impulse? Boy, it'd be awesome if it did, yes. Right? Be fun. No, it wouldn't. Be a free-for-all in our Christian lives. What does it mean to be free in Christ? Well, let me just give you some things to hold on to. I think in another place, 2 Corinthians, again, I want you to see how consistent and beautiful the message of Paul is regarding the gospel. Now the Lord is the spirit and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed, here it is again, into his image with ever increased, increasing glory 
which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Where the Spirit of God is, there is freedom. That's the hint and the idea that, that the Spirit of God, we are his temple, when he's at work in our lives, he gives us a freedom, this beautiful freedom. Here's words that help me. You might want to write them down. Freedom from and freedom for. Freedom from and freedom for. Freedom from condemnation. There is no condemnation in Christ Jesus. We get to be authentic and we're free from condemnation. Right? Free also, if we're living the Christian life fully, from the power of sin. We get set free from that addiction, that that power. Also free from the law. I would say it this way, a legalistic following of rules. Freedom for. Freedom for abundant life. Freedom for a life lived compelled by love. Freedom for a life of joy. I hope this analogy works. I don't know if it will for you. It does for me. When we were uh, doing some church planning, we had all these couples, and they had no idea about parenting, so we felt like the, the appropriate thing to do would do a Christian parenting, and we watched a video, and it was called Active Christian Parenting. And it really helped us as parents, right? And so the, the whole premise behind Active Christian Parenting is... That it's not a democracy, you don't treat the children as democracy, but as parents, you put the boundaries of what they can and cannot do. But as kids, they're growing up, and so you want to give them choices, the freedom of choice. A very simple example was that... um, Luke used to wrestle, and he would really like to decide what he wore to grade school every day. The problem is, he almost never matched. Now, I was fine with that, but his mom was like, no, 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 I want him to match. So we took this act of Christian parenting, and we said, okay, <clears throat> this is how you handle it. You set the boundaries, but you give him freedom of choice. So she would lay out two, sometimes three, things that he could choose. And then Luke felt empowered to choose what he was wearing. They had no more fights. It was resolved. Okay? Right? I think that freedom in Christ works like that. God says, yes, there's some things that are sin. There's some things that I'm telling you not to to do. There's some things, and yet there's freedom in this. I've made this big world, and it's not about crossing all the T's and dotting all the I's. It's about living the abundance of Christ, and I want you to experience that. Don't let someone, right, pull from that freedom. And so as I was thinking about that, I thought, You know, that's a little bit of how he's trying to get us to grow up in Christ. Is he places choices, and 
He's not, no, don't, don't choose that. No, 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 no. Uh-uh, no, 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 you call it outside of the lines. Bam. No, there are boundaries. Sin matters. He wants us to live right. And yet within those boundaries is freedom of Christ. And I would say the word love has helped me determine what's outside of the boundaries and what's in. Is this loving to do that? Would I experience freedom in this? Would this decision negatively impact someone else? Then that's probably outside. If it's clearly stated a prohibition, adultery, I know that's outside the boundaries, right? Right? Drinking alcohol, right? I would say there's freedom in that. Now, drunkenness outside of the boundaries, but freedom to make right decisions. Is that helpful? I see some heads nodding. Yes. All right. So let's recap these incredible benefits of the Christian life that Paul is talking about. And he's saying to the Galatians, do you really want to forfeit the Holy Spirit being in you and the Spirit speaking to your spirit, teaching you to say, Abba, Father. I think he's saying to you and me, are you living in this full benefit of the Christian faith? Are you walking with God as your Abba, Father? Secondly, he's saying, Paul is saying, I'm in pains of childbirth and Women could say, how does he know what childbirth is? Right? But he's so, he's until Christ is formed, don't just, and I think he's saying to you and I, don't just tread water. Don't just do live a life of sin management. No, there's so much more to life. He wants to grow and mature and teach you and form you and shape your mind and your, your heart and, and will. He wants you to grow up in Christ. And it's a beautiful life. Don't just tread water in the faith. And then finally, the third piece is don't live a life that has no idea what freedom in Christ is. He wants to give you this abundant life. That's the, the, the word that Jesus used, this, this life of, of fullness, this life of, of joy. I was reading another uh, author who's arguing that repentance people aren't living the fullness of the Christian life because they don't take repentance seriously he says it's not just about entrance into the kingdom of God which it is it's not just about being off track but getting on track he said but also there's the the fullness of joy in repentance that we get to live We've been been given this whole wide world to to love and experience and and see the, the glory of God in that way. 
Not about rule following. Not about crossing all the T's and dotting all the I's, but experiencing the fullness of Christ. And my question for you this morning is do you have this gym membership and you're not using all the gym members' membership? I'd encourage you to cancel it. Stop wasting your money. Are you a Christian? This is far more important. And you are, are you living in an Abba Father relationship? Are you being transformed into the image of Christ? And finally, are you experiencing the freedom that comes as a Christian? If you were to choose one of those, say, gosh, I, boy, I, I understand so little of this piece. What would that one piece be? Well, let's ask the Lord. The worship team wants to come forward. Let's just take some time with the Lord. I can't answer that question for you, nor do I want to. What's the invitation that you're hearing this morning? Is there an invitation to a more intimate friendship with Abba Father? Is there an invitation to transformation, to being formed in the image of Christ? Is there an invitation to live freedom, the freedom of Christ Jesus? Just between you and the Lord, would you take a few minutes to ask him, what is he inviting you to this morning.